Welcome to the Growth Equation Podcast. We're your hosts, Brad Stahlberg and Steve Magnus. Brad, what's going on, my man? Not so much. Another Wednesday, another episode of the Growth Equation Podcast. How are you? I'm doing great. No complaints over here. All right. Well, let's dive right into today's show, which is an interesting topic and one that... um, we've both been thinking quite a bit about lately, which is the role of narcissism in Western culture and conventional definitions of success. So I'll set the stage real quick before we dive in. Here in America, where Steve and I both live, over the past two months, there have been two concurrently big news stories. The first are the hearings from January 6th, the day that the American Democratic Experiment was on the brink of toppling. And what you see in those hearings are a lot of middle-aged dudes that are just extreme narcissists that somehow rose to levels of power in our government for a long period of time um, where they really wreaked a ton of havoc on the country. And At the same time, you've got Elon Musk, who we've talked a little bit about, who is many things, and one of them is most certainly uh, a genius and an innovator, but another seems to be a narcissist and just completely blowing up this Twitter deal. So whether or not recent allegations of Elon Musk sleeping with Sergey Brin, co-founder of Google's wife, are true or not, that's neither here nor there. I wouldn't be surprised either way, to be honest. Uh, but the, the, the Twitter blow up to me is the bigger thing. Like the, just the audacity to be like, I'm going to buy this company. Nah, maybe, maybe not. And, um, and that got us thinking, A, is it possible to make it to the top in realms defied by conventional success without being a narcissist? B, are there ways to acknowledge the role of ego and put some boundaries in place, perhaps? And see, one of our pastime favorite things to do here at the Growth Equation is riff on unfalsifiable um, and unempirically possible to experiment with ideas, such as if Bill Gates was coming up in this day and age, or Steve Jobs, or JFK, would they have all um, succumbed to the same problem? So is it a chicken or an egg? And it's probably a bit of both, but I can't help but think, like, just imagine if, like, Steve Jobs and Bill Gates had Twitter when they were 24 at the prime of their kind of rebellious, taken over the world phase. So is it the person? Is it the culture? Is it a little bit of everything? Uh, What on earth do we do about it? So, Steve, did I miss anything in in setting the context? No, I think you nailed it pretty, pretty well. And I think... To get into this conversation, I want to start with that final piece. I think that's an interesting, intriguing place to start and helps shade what we do about it. Because if it is is mostly environmental, that shifts what we do about it. If it is this kind of middle ground, then that takes us in another direction. And not surprisingly in this, uh, you know, on the growth equation, I'm going to pick the middle path. Which if we think of Steve Jobs or Bill Gates or name your, you know, name your person, is they obviously have traits that push them towards seeing the world and seeing their self in it in a different 
you know, view than the rest of us. Like you have to kind of be a bit grandiose and self-centered to believe that you can take over the world or change the world suit through some, you know, software company or whatever have you. Um, But I think the difference now is if those guys were around today is they now have this thing that fuels that and doesn't keep in check. And that thing is an instant access to fueling that kind of narcissistic personality or those traits, that grandiosity, this I'm above everyone else. And that is social media. Because it's almost this, again, this self-fulfilling thing where we learn that, you know, we get this almost feedback loop that tells us that we are the greatest or we do have more power than other people or that we should see ourselves in a different lens through the masses And this thing that, you know, if you look at studies on narcissism, it often shows that they crave validation. Well, what is social media? What is social media for someone who has a big following besides a validation machine? Right. And I think that um, we can speak to this from our own firsthand experience, which is you and I have some narcissistic tendencies. I think that you almost have to, to be a published author that goes on Twitter and builds a following in tweets. It kind of assumes that you have something worthwhile to say and that people are going to take interest. So this isn't necessarily a case against those traits, though you talk to my wife, maybe it ought to be a case against those traits, but it's more so about when those traits don't have any boundaries or self-awareness around them. And I think it's really important to delineate between the two. Danny Kahneman, um, famous psychologist, won a Nobel Prize for his work in the field that later became behavioral economics, um, did research and found that most entrepreneurs are delusional. And you pause and you're like, what are you talking about? And Kahneman says, it's simple. Something like 99% of startup companies fail. So in order to think that you're the one that's going to succeed you kind of have to be delusional. And without those delusional entrepreneurs, we'd have a lot less innovation and a lot less great things in the world. Vaccines, new technologies, I mean, all sorts of stuff, right? So we need people that are a bit delusional, a bit narcissistic, uh, able to think that, hey, I have this idea and I can write it down or I can build this product or I can build this team or I can start this movement and it's going to change the world, which is a batshit crazy idea if you step back and think about it. The problem is when people believe that all the way and they start taking themselves as seriously as their idea and they don't surround themselves with other people that can put um, checks and balances on it. And again, back to Elon Musk, because I, I, my own relationship with him is, um, well, I don't know the guy, but my own intellectual kind of idea of him is really complicated because I do think he's done a lot of good for the the planet, no doubt about that. But I also think he's like a complete asshole narcissist. And I just can't help but wonder, like gets back to the original question and I'm talking in circles a little, if Elon Musk had some self-awareness or just had someone that could take his phone away from him or whatever it was or tell him like asshole, like focus on taking carbon out of the atmosphere stop playing games with Twitter, how much better off would he be in the planet be? 
And the answer might be nothing. It might be, who are you to say from your library with your meager 50,000 book sales, you don't even know what it's like to be Elon Musk? All true. But come on, man, you can't help but think like if he just stayed focused and cut the, the narcissistic bullshit. Well, you know, we can we can kind of see where that is because like early in his career, earlier in his career, he was much more it seemed like much more focused, less on social media, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um, and that's when he got, you know, SpaceX through its most difficult moments or Tesla through its most difficult moments when it was looked like it was going to go belly up and, and saved it through there. So I, I think there's something to that. And I think history and evidence shows that. And I think, again, this is where I'm not here to hate on all social media, but what it does is it exacerbates some tendencies and it fuels some some traits more than others. So, for example, again, there's research behind us is that social media fuels online bullying right? Fuels outrage. And not surprisingly, it shows that in those with narcissistic tendencies, it fuels that even it promotes bullying even more. Those those there are more likely to bully. Why? Because you get that sense of validation of superiority of of like, I'm quote unquote, owning you whatever have you. So to me, it screams of, Here's this thing that works maybe against some of these tendencies that in a small dose might push us towards great, great things in certain cases, right? Because we have to be a little bit delusional. But now we've entered a world where if you don't have checks and balances on that, you're likely to get derailed. And you see this, you know, maybe I'm going on a slight tangent here, but most of the time, these ideas, uh, these big ideas, or even small ones that have importance, they start off meaning well, but they get taken to the extreme almost out of this like moral justification, this moral like ends justify the means idea, right? And what happens is you go from Musk saying, hey, I'm going to take carbon out of the atmosphere. I'm going to create, you know, car electric cars so we help with global, you know, warming all that stuff. So we get distracted where it's just like, "Oh, I'm doing all these great things." So it's almost like anything else I do has justification and I can just kind of do whatever I want. Yeah, and the wreckage that that leaves in its wake is um is often pretty catastrophic. I mean, in the case of the ultimate narcissist in chief, Donald Trump, it has completely derailed the political discourse in the largest country in the developed world. Um, in the case of Elon Musk, much less so. I don't think he's caused direct harm to anyone that, that I know about anyways. Um, but multiple marriages, multiple kids with different moms, um, yeah. And I think that like, you, you know, this is all speculation, but I, you have to imagine that it's that same kind of thrill of like, I can do anything. And when you're rewarded for that, then of course you start to believe it. I'm not sure that my behavior would be that much different. I'd like to think it would, because I'd like to think that I'd have uh, checks and balances in place, but maybe not. Which again, though, like I would never do what Elon Musk does because I wouldn't want to, which again, it's like the chicken or the egg. Like, is it just you have to be wired that way 
in order to take a shot at that. Like part of me is like, if I was ever as big time as Elon Musk, I don't know, maybe I'd be just as bad, but I would never get to be as big time as Elon Musk because I'm not as crazy. Um, so, so that's just, it's such an interesting chicken or the egg thought experiment. I'll let you respond to this, Steve, because it's something that we riff on a lot. And I'm curious to hear how you're thinking about it in this moment. I'll give a counter example. And I was tweeting about this the other day. And my man, James Clear. So for those that don't know, in our little orbit of being an author, James Clear wrote a book called Atomic Habits. And I think it sold, I don't know, four or five million copies, which is a shit ton of copies of book. James Clear's book has got to be the best selling nonfiction book of the last decade. And James is our age. And before the book came out, he had a really sizable newsletter, but he wasn't a household name. Now you got the mayor of New York City, Eric Adams, saying the best book he read is Atomic Habits. You got Elliot Kipchoge, best athlete on the planet, saying favorite book, Atomic Habits. And I don't know James well, but I've, you know, I've texted with him back and forth. We Zoomed once or twice. And um, he hasn't changed at all. He's the same old guy. He tweets at the same frequency. He writes about the same stuff. He's not enmeshed in conspiracy theories. He's not hamming it up with Alex Jones. And, um, you know, I, I think maybe he'd come on our show. We should ask him. But like he's a really and I'm not like going to total James boy, James Clear fanboy. Like his book was good. Don't get me wrong. It's a good book on habits. But like what I'm really impressed with about James is how he's handled the massive success. Um, and again, James Clear's success is the 4 million copies is so much smaller than someone like Elon Musk. So maybe it still is too much apples to oranges. But I think there are a lot of examples of people who have made it and have not become narcissists. The other thing I'll say is it's generally fucking dudes that become narcissists. So Elizabeth Holmes is like the big female blow up. But then I'm thinking like, you know, Serena Williams seems to have shit in place. Shalane Flanagan, our good friend, her stuff's in place. So how much of this is also just like a, a masculine testosterone dude thing? Yeah, it's interesting, right? I mean, I'll give you a couple other examples. Um, I'll go here. Um, so in my past coaching life, I spent nine years working with Leroy Burrell, who was at one point the fastest man in history on the planet, 100 meter world record holder. And then Carl Lewis, who was literally the best athlete of the century. And Leroy, you would see, I would say very, very low narcissism in there, even though he like, again, broke the world record in the, the quote unquote, probably most masculine testosterone driven event in, in sport when it was, hit, uh, when it was, you know, extremely popular. So, Maybe that's an example of like, you know, none at all. Now, Carl, again, I like Carl. He's a good dude. Carl also, I would say is like, yes, he would have has some tendencies towards like, I would say that Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, like, hey, we're going to do it and like, we're going to do it. Like, I remember the first year he joined us at Houston, he he walked around and said, you know, in four years, we're going to win a national championship. And we were a, a non-Power 5 school who had been pretty good, but not a top 10 or even 15 program in the country at that time. And he's walking around telling people, well, we didn't do it, but we got second and third and third and back to back back years or competition. So we came pretty dang close. So there's there's a little bit of that, like, again, maybe 
optimism or slight delusion because, you know, in Carl's case, it was like probably, hey, I've done crazy things before. I've come to the mountaintop. So why can't I do this as well? And and to be fair to him, it wasn't, hey, I'm just doing this, but it's also I'm then going to put in the work to accomplish this goal, which was nice and interesting to see. So I'm not I don't know if I answer your question there, but I find those two, again, good friends, fellow competitors and teammates, interesting contrast because I'm not putting Carl Lewis in the Elon Musk, you know, narcissism role, but they def- definitely have diff- had different levels of, um, you know, grandiosity or, or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And you see that the the bigger examples in sports are like a Lance Armstrong and Alberto Salazar, who, you know, all too well. Um it crossed over into like legitimate delusion, like living in an alternate reality, inability to consider how their actions might affect anybody else, uh, so on and so forth. So, so let me let me come back to this because I think this is important and interesting. So in watching Carl again, who's, you know, at the highest level we could get in athletics, I think what was interesting, though, is that him coaching and being involved on the day-to-day like probably kept him grounded in the reality of the situation so like you know Lance Armstrong is off here like delusional because it's like him and literally you know when I saw him it's like him and his posse of people who are designed to help him and essentially yes say yes to him you know and Carl's over here again I didn't know him for his during his career but he's over here like helping 18 year olds (laughs) and spending time, you know, getting to know like these teenage kids who are going to mess up and screw up all the time. And like that has a way of being like, you know what, like I might be the greatest in history, but I still got to do this stuff, you know. Reminds me of, uh, and I wrote a a growth equation article about this, but the infamous text message between me and our joint mentor, Michael Joyner, after the news of Bill Gates' um, misconduct in the office place came out. And I remember texting Mike, apropos of his topic, I'd forgotten about that and just said, man, like, why are all these like people such assholes? Do you have to be an asshole to like change the world, even if it's changing the world for the better? And Mike Joyner's response was just, I don't know, but keep lifting weights. And I think it's hard to know with Mike, but I think what Mike was saying is that you got to do hard, real things that humble you and that keep you keep you grounded, keep you in your place. Um, look at that. Do hard things and keep you grounded. Why didn't we think of that to jointly promote our books? But anyways, you got to seriously, you got to do hard things and, and that keep you grounded and, and, and that maybe helps keep you tied to the stratosphere. I know James Clear, not like a natural born crazy athlete, good athlete. He still lifts weights like all the time and you know, maybe that's why he's not on Twitter all day, or maybe that's why when he is on Twitter, he doesn't think he's the the king of the universe because every once in a while he gets stapled by the barbell. You know, I think what you're saying is Elon Musk needs to either start running or lifting some weights and he'll be good to go. Um, but all serious, one more story on this is I remember when I first got into college coaching, Leroy Burrell pulling me aside and he was like, He said, Steve, listen, I'm going to tell you a story of when I first got the job. And he was like maybe three years away out, three or four years out from being literally the fastest man on the planet. Okay, so pretty soon after his career. And he goes, you know, 
was a former world record holder. I had a name for myself, you know, Olympic medals, like all that stuff. And he's like, I never forget when I walked into my first, you know, high school recruits home. And here I am thinking like, oh, I'm the man, like I'm going to convince this kid. And this kid had no clue who I was. He didn't care. The parents did. The kid had no clue. And he was just like, you know, it really humbles you. And you really have to realize like, you know, you got to put in the work for every kid. And that story always stuck with me because it's like, oh, what better way is there to humble you than, uh, you know, going into high school kids, uh, you know, house as a grown adult and saying, you know, hey, please come to my university. I love it. That's such a great story. It's back to like um, doing those real, those real hard things. And part of that is like just having a conversation with a kid that doesn't know who you are. Shit keeps you grounded. Um, is an aside, we've been told that for those that are diehards and want to um, spice up the podcast with the drinking game, every time I swear you are to take a drink and every time Steve says in all that good stuff, you are to take a drink. So that's just a quick little interlude for uh, for the, the people out there that want to want to have a little bit more fun. Um, all right. I mean, I think that we've we've circled around this topic in a pretty good way. There are no easy answers. I think it's a both and situation, as you so clearly said at the start. Um, what does it mean for people out there that are listening who are trying to get the most out of themselves and, and stay grounded and do hard things and all the the good stuff to quote Steve that, that we here at the growth equation champion. I think it means that the goal isn't to get rid of your ego. The goal isn't to get rid of all narcissistic tendencies. As a matter of fact, I think that the people that claim that they have no ego are the people that are got to be kind of careful about. <laughs> Maybe they're the most self-absorbed of all. You see all these like spiritual leaders that lose their egos and then go on to be arrested for sexual assault of their followers. So I'm really skeptical of anyone that says that they're enlightened and they don't have an ego. I think enlightenment in the 21st century, the best that we can do is probably to actually recognize our ego and recognize our narcissistic tendencies and then know that they're there, have some checks and balances in place to stop them from becoming destructive and keep them focused in a productive manner. And um, then take yourself much less seriously than the work. Uh, it's something that we talk about quite a bit is like you want to take the work really seriously. But the minute that you start taking yourself as seriously as the work, problems ensue. Um, because there's a big difference between Elon Musk, um, you know, Iron Man. What was the name of the guy, the character that played, you know, Iron Man, John Titan, capitalist, superhero, Marvel movies. Oh, Tony Stark. Tony Stark. So there's a difference between Tony Stark being the thing and Tesla and SpaceX being the thing. And I think that what you've seen in that case is it was Tesla and SpaceX being the thing, and now it's Tony Stark. In the case of Donald Trump, Donald Trump was always the thing. Um, and I don't even want to compare Elon Musk to Donald Trump because Donald Trump is such an asshole in his own orbit of assholes that, you know, he begs no comparison. Uh, but yeah, I think it's about keeping the work the thing and taking that very seriously while realizing that you're just kind of a shepherd, maybe a shepherd with a pretty healthy ego in a time and a space to help push that work. And then the work is hopefully going to live on and outlive you. Yeah, I think it was uh, researcher Heidi Wayment who put it 
I think brilliantly is we're not trying to eliminate our ego. We're just trying to have a quiet ego. And that's what it is, is it's it's like finding that balance point of like you're never going to become enlightened and eliminate your ego. You're a human being and kind of accepting that you are a human being. And instead of ignoring these tendencies, like setting up structures in your life to prevent you from losing your mind. Um, and you know, you have to know. So for example, Brad and I are in the book selling business, which means we have to increase our social media, which means we have to spend time on that, which means like now we have hopefully tens or hundreds of thousands of people who read our books and it's easy to get lost. So we have to do things that ground us. And part of that is like our friendship, but part of that is having structure as well. As you know, uh, we've said in offline conversations, Brad, is it's easy to let your brain get lost in online social media mode or world where you just have internet brain and everything gets a little bit diluted and your priorities get a little bit messed up and you start thinking the online world reflects everything else in the world and your brain essentially starts to make predictions based on, you know, as if Twitter or Instagram is the real world. And when that starts to happen, bad things happen. Bad things occur. So you've got to, you know, have safeguards that pull you out of that. Love it. All right. Well, I think that's a great place to wrap things up. If you enjoy the podcast and you partially enjoy it because it is advertisement free, a few ways to help keep it that way. Uh, number one, please support our books. They are a large source of revenue for us. Steve's latest is Do Hard Things. It just came out. It's phenomenal. My latest is The Practice of Groundedness. It's also good. It's a little bit weird for me to say that in a conversation about narcissism, but here I am. Um, and the other way that you can support us is to join our exclusive Patreon community, where for as little as $5 a month, you get access to a live monthly book club where we bring in authors of best-selling nonfiction books. You get all sorts of e-guides to resilience, groundedness, sustainable success, the building blocks of nutrition, um, pretty much everything that goes into the kind of excellence as we think about it, and all sorts of other neat goodies. So check us out on Patreon at www.patreon.com backslash the growth equation and tell your friends about the show. Thanks for listening to the Growth Equation podcast. Learn more about our work and find show notes at our website, www.thegrowtheq.com. Follow us on Twitter at B. Stahlberg and at Steve Magnus. And if you like what you listen to, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast, as this goes a long way in helping it reach others.